Good morning, everybody. Um, so today's reading is from John 11, and that's verses 17 to 44. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard this, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that when whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who believes or who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary now came to where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could he not, could he, not he, who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. There was a cave, and the stone lay against us. Jesus said, Take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And I say this on account of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of bone, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So today, folks, we'll be looking at Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus, the seventh of seven miracles performed by Jesus in John's Gospel. Now, you're probably familiar with the story. If you were a regular at Sunday school as a child, Jesus visits the home of Mary and Martha here in mourning following the death of their brother Lazarus and raises Lazarus from the dead. It's a great miracle as it points us to the power of God and the eventual resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead a few weeks after this had happened. Now, this is the same Mary and Martha that had hosted Jesus and his party of disciples in Luke 10. The same Mary who would pour perfume over Jesus and wash it off with her hair from his feet. So we can tell from this that Jesus cared for Mary and Martha. Not only that, but he trusted them so much so that he would stay with them 
in Bethany. Now, for those of you who don't know, Bethany is just outside Jerusalem. It's seen as the last stop outside of Jerusalem. And that's, of course, where the Jews had tried to stone Jesus previously. So Jesus, in essence, if you think about it, whenever he's going back towards Mary and Martha, he is heading towards danger. We'll see later the reasons for Jesus visiting Mary and Martha when he did and what we can learn from them. But we'll also see the encounters that Jesus had with Mary and Martha and what we can learn there as well. We'll look at also the Jews and Lazarus, the encounters that Jesus had there. I'm hoping in this that we'll pull together some sort of consensus where we can apply the power of God to our hearts. Will it open your hearts and your minds? That is my prayer for you this morning. Will the power of God open your heart? Will the power of God open your mind? That's the impact of this miracle. It opens hearts and it opens minds. In our series, Encounters with Jesus, we've looked at the miracles in John's Gospel. Last week, we looked at what's seen as the sixth sign, that is Jesus healing the blind man, and Dave took us through the reactions to that. This week, however, we'll be looking at the last miracle, really, before Christ's crucifixion. That's raising Lazarus from the dead. And it's an interesting signposting, if you like, for the eventual victory that Jesus would have on the cross. Taking our sins unto him. This miracle, <coughs> I'll have you mentioned this throughout, will be summed up by three key ideas. Resurrection. Future life. The conquering of the grave. So keep that in mind. Now, in this case, it's Jesus performing them for Lazarus. And I'm going to be really mean here. And I make no apologies for that. I'm going to drag you right to the very start of John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible in front of you, or if you want to follow on your phones, that'll be grand. Um, but at the end of chapter 10, Jesus travels across the Jordan. Okay, And at the start of chapter 11, we get messengers from Mary and Martha to inform Jesus of Lazarus' illness. Now, keep that in mind. It's Lazarus' illness. Lazarus has not died yet. Okay, Their message read, Lord, the one you love is sick. It says sick, not dead. In addition to this, Mary and Martha, they don't say, Lord, come quickly. They acknowledge that they need the healing power of God. That's all. So Lazarus is living. And Jesus first hears word of him. Jesus is quick to reply in John 11, verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. The words will be coming up in the screen. Yes. Keep them up in the screen, because I'm going to come to that second part in verse 4 a little later. Okay? One of the disciples should have sort of been saying, spoiler alert, whenever it said, this sickness will not end in death. Because in essence, what what Jesus is doing here is he's actually predicting what's going to happen in verse 44. Okay? And if you approach this message, I suppose, with human eyes, if you're looking in John chapter 11, you'll see kind of the first strange thing here. All right? Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. But then he waits two days starting the journey back to Bethany. By this time, Lazarus has died. Now it says in verse 5, Jesus loved Mary and Martha. So why, if Jesus loved his friends, those who provided hospitality, those who washed his feet, which is a sign of Jewish hospitality, why did he wait so long to travel back and resurrect Lazarus? I mean, if you look, say, at um, Jairus' daughter, for instance, Jesus doesn't need to be in the room to bring life back to those that have died. 
you know the story well, Jesus meets Jairus, they're on the road, and then on the route back to Jairus' daughter, they hear that she has died. By the time they reach the house, Jesus wakens her up. She had only been sleeping, she had not died. Or she had died, but had been raised back to life. So he could have just said the word, and like that, Lazarus could have come back. He could have been resurrected, but he didn't. He stayed where he was with his disciples for two days. Why? Well, verse 4 again. The sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's, for the glory of God. So the Son of God may be glorified through it. Okay. And then again, verse 14, if you have your Bible in front of you. When the disciples argue back, Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Okay. They say, well, okay. You know, sleep's a good way to overcome sickness. And that's essence, they're thinking, okay, it'll be fine and just sleep. But no, Jesus goes further. He affirms, he goes, Lazarus is dead. And for the sake, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. That ye may believe. You see here, these disciples had been on a long mission with Jesus. And still, they needed this encouragement to see the power of God. They didn't fully believe. For context, falling asleep was a euphemism in this time for Christians or believers and non-believers alike. It meant death. Falling asleep meant death. So they would have known what it meant. Regardless, we see here the full rationale for Jesus going back to Mary and Martha in the first place. It was not purely out of love, though he did love Mary and Martha. It was so that his followers, those that he would attract to him and those that he had with him, that their faith would be strengthened and that God would be glorified. And I say this, their faith don't only believe in their minds, but also in their hearts. This is the key. Believe in your heart, believe in your mind. We'll come through this again and again as the sermon goes on. And we'll see with Mary and Martha that they did have faith. They had faith. But it necessarily wasn't as strong as it could have been. Okay? We pick up then verse 17. Okay? Jesus arrives back in Bethany. Mary stays at home with the Jews of the Comforter. Martha on the other hand goes in, meets Jesus, and so begins her encounter with the living God. Now, it may seem in the next few minutes that I'm being overly critical of Martha and not, okay, because in essence she does have the stronger faith of the two women, okay? When she encounters the living God, she says, verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know not even that God will give you whatever you ask. So you can see in a roundabout way, she knows her stuff. You know, she has faith. She knows that God will provide Jesus whatever is asked. Okay, and that God has the power to heal, you know, the dying. Okay, going beyond this, saying obviously God will give you whatever you ask. But it seems that Martha is asking for an immediate resurrection. Okay, even though Lazarus' body had been in the tomb for four days and had already started to decay. Or would have already started to decay in this sense. So, I suppose being from Belfast, you'd say fair play there. Fair play there. She knew her stuff. She had faith. But, for us we might say, okay, she had strong faith. She knew that God would do it. But not for Jesus. Okay. For Jesus, Jesus went further. Jesus tests her faith. And we see that in verses 23 to 25. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. 
Martha says, I know he'll rise again on the last day. Again, nothing wrong there. <coughs> she knows her stuff. She knows that in the last day, the Lazarus will be risen and obviously an eternity of living God. See, there's nothing wrong with the knowledge that Martha has here. But still, it could go further. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, will live. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus points to himself as that way, the truth, the life, the one through who eternity can be found. But he doesn't just say this and kind of leave it to Martha to mull over in her mind. He says, do you believe this? The ball is immediately put back in Martha's court. Okay? And you'd have to say that Martha, in her reply, she passes the test initially. She says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is to come into the world. She professes the living God, and she has her faith tested publicly. Think about it. In this passage, all it mentions so far is Jesus and Martha in this encounter. But who travels with Jesus? The disciples are there. Of course they were. They were traveling with Jesus, so Martha has her faith probed quite publicly and affirms it in front of the living God. I'll put it simply for you folks, this this is where we should be. Whenever, you know, whenever we're tested, do we publicly affirm our faith? I'm, I'm not going to say I'm anything to anybody, you know, I'll leave that to you. Martha, at the very least, was around fellow believers we ourselves may not be so lucky. We need to be absolute in our conviction for God. And that happens. But how does that happen? That happens by coming to God and professing to him. We need to ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, of course. We need to go to him. We have to ask for this strength, you know, so they can persevere against such testing. I'm going to be a wee bit. Well, I'm tempted now to be very cheeky and test this. I'm not going to. I'll, I'll tell you this. What's one of the Fruits of the Spirit, steadfastness. That's what we need, folks. We need that steadfastness in our faith. We need that conviction. That is what we need. And it's my prayer this morning that our faith will be strengthened through these words. However, it's important to point out that this faith that Martha had is very much in her mind. That's not a criticism. I'm not going to criticize it's important, it's crucial, even though we believe God in our minds. But can we say that Martha had her heart truly set on the power of the living God? No, I would debate that. Following Mary's encounter with Jesus, which we'll get to in a minute or two, Martha questions Jesus' command when they go to the tomb and they say, or when Jesus says, you know, take the stone away from the tomb. Martha says that out of Lazarus' burial site, that's in verse 39, but Lord, by this time there would be an odor. He has been in there four days. And as she wrong, well, no, decay probably would have set in by this stage. But Martha still hasn't believed God in her heart. She has the knowledge and believes fully in her mind that Jesus is the Messiah. Tick, you know, nothing wrong with that. That's brilliant, excellent. But she does not yet trust the power that God has to resurrect the dead. Remember at the start of the sermon, I said that this pointed to three things. Resurrection, future life, the conquering of the grave. Jesus replies to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, I'm sure there are people out there, hard-hearted people, that would look at this story 
with derision. Jesus left Mary and Martha to sit in mourning and wait. But it all served a greater purpose. And we'll see this here. It says in verse 44, or 41, sorry. We see the rationale for the tests of Martha's faith and the waiting, the anxiety these ladies were caused. As the stone is rolled away or taken away from Lazarus' tomb, Jesus looks to God and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe in you and that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus' first concern is not necessarily to restore life. Jesus' first concern is glorifying God in this instance. How he glorifies God is by restoring Lazarus back to life. This resurrection, this fully demonstrates God's power over death. Jesus was concerned with helping also the children of God to grow in their faith. They've mentioned at the start of this sermon series, Jesus reaches out to us in an encounter, and it's very true here, because he gave Mary and Martha what they wanted in their hearts. They wanted Lazarus back, but by giving them what they wanted in their hearts, he also achieved the glory, or he achieved glorifying God. It all works for the glory of God, that's the point. I remember at the start of this sermon, I said both sisters had different encounters the living God. We've all had the more cerebral encounter with Martha. Now we're going to see the more emotional one. That's with Mary. You'll notice it is quite an emotional exchange between the pair. In fact, Mary only speaks once in this entire passage. Martha goes to Mary. She says, the teacher is here and is asking for you. Mary gets up quickly, goes to Jesus. The Jews who are with her consoling her. They follow suit. They follow quickly behind Mary. And then whenever Jesus is where he is, where obviously Martha's left him, you see this group, obviously Mary and the Jews coming. And for the disciples, this is probably what they feared. Going back towards Jerusalem, this kind of group, these Jews coming towards him, oh, what's going on here? But Jesus is in command of this situation. You see, this is all for the glory of God, and it's all for the advancement of the kingdom. We will see that in the next few months. It's here outside Bethlehem we see a range of emotions in an encounter with the living God. As Mary comes before Jesus, she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Crucially, this is all Mary says in this passage of Scripture. When Jesus asks, where have you laid him? It's the crowd that respond, it's not Mary. Our response to Jesus is emotional and guarded, or sorry, guided not by her mind, but by her heart. Now again, I'm not going to criticize Mark for this because we should have an emotional reaction to God whenever he moves in our heart. It's, it's key, and I hope that you'll see this as we carry on here, that our hearts and our minds need to be focused on God. Mary's faith also is quite sound. She acknowledges that Lazarus, in fact, would not have died of Jesus there. If it was God's will, Lazarus would have been healed. Of course, nothing overtly wrong with what she said, but still her faith could be stronger because she does not recognize the extent or fully trust the power of God. On top of this, she could say that Mary might seem a bit of an emotional wreck through this stage, and you could you could sympathize with her because she's just lost a sibling. She's gone through a lot of turmoil in her life, and when she and the Jews arrive and there's weeping, what do you read of Jesus' reaction to this? 
Well, it's a very interesting one, verse 33. It says he was deeply moved and troubled. Troubled not by Lazarus' death, certainly not. Jesus has already predicted what's going to happen here. Verse 4, we know Lazarus is going to come back. Some authors imply that Jesus is saddened because he's seen decay that's happening in the world. He's seen the power of sin in people's lives. He's seen the consequence of it. But that's not necessarily the case here because Jesus wept and this was, well, Jesus wept because he was going to bring Lazarus back to life. He's bringing Lazarus from a place of peace into a place of sin and decay. Think about it, Lazarus was at peace where one day he will rise with Jesus in the last day. But Jesus came to bring glory to God and to strengthen faith. Therefore, Lazarus must be raised from the dead that the power of God may be made clear and that the Lord's name must be glorified at Lazarus' burial place. So you can see again why Jesus would have been upset for he's raising Lazarus from a place of peace, you would say. And we'll see again possibly what happened later after the resurrection. But let's talk about Mary and the Jews here. What about their encounter with the living God? Well, when Lazarus walks out of the tomb in the burial clothes, Jesus is the real joy bringer. Okay. Martha and Mary both see their brother come out of the tomb. There is not the smell of death and decay. No, Lazarus is alive. And when I read the words of verse 44, I'm reminded, and I'm going to be singing this song in my head for the rest of the day, and I'm sorry about this, but it's the song He's Alive by Don Francisco. Has anyone ever heard of it? Yeah. Great song. It is now playing in my head. Um, but I'm going to t- tell you the words of the chorus. This is the or it relates to Jesus' resurrection, but I think it relates to this story as well. It's he's alive, he's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven. Okay? Mary and Martha had faith in their heart and their mind respectively, but they lacked some rigor, some vigor, you would say, that made it unshakable. In resurrecting Lazarus, in fact, we don't read what Jesus said. He doesn't say anything like, I told you so, or anything like that there. No, we can assume or we can infer from this that, Laz- or that Martha and Mary's faith were well and truly strengthened in that day. There was forgiveness for their doubt. They were strengthened. And we can tell that from verse 45, just after our reading ends. What happens after this miracle? It says, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. Some of these people were possibly opponents of Jesus. Mary and Martha possessed faith, but not to the extent they should have, really. But that day, their hearts and their minds grew to believe, fully trust in the power of the living God. They had been present at this miracle that affirmed the power of God over sin and death. Jesus literally called a person back to life. Lazarus was a man of God. His name actually means lover of God. Jesus' voice reaches down into the grave, and what does it do? It raises Lazarus to life. Signposting us again to the resurrection, Jesus can and will, in a couple of weeks after this takes place, um, conquer death again, and there will be future life. Lazarus has been resurrected here in this passage and will have future life. Now, the minister David Paulson said, It is enough to believe that Jesus is the resurrection and life. I'm not disagreeing with David Paulson here. I want to take you further, though. I'm going to ask you, Where do you believe? In Jesus, do you believe in your heart? Do you believe in your mind? Now, you need to do it in both. 
It's stuck there. It's clear from John 11. The Lord wants a relationship with you in your heart and in your mind. If you've been doing your discipleship project readings, you'd remember Hebrews 8. It should be on the screen. No. It'll come up on the screen in a second. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. The Lord wants a relationship with you in your heart and in your mind. Now, the response to this is up to you. Will you humble yourselves before the living God? I can tell you what's in these passages. I can pray, and I do pray that this is the response to you. Humble yourself, you believe in your heart and your mind. But I can't tell you to do it. It's up to you. Will you believe in the living God in your heart and your mind? Before I finish and how we can apply these words, I want to take a moment and look briefly at Lazarus' encounter with Jesus. When Lazarus rose from his burial place, he was wrapped in narrow pieces of linen and ribbon and gather cloth over him. Jesus doesn't talk to the man. Lazarus standing before him, he tells his disciples, take the clothes off Lazarus, let him go. We hear nothing from Lazarus in the encounter. I'm sure there would have been a certain amount of confusion, possibly. You know, having been dead for four days and resurrected by the power of God. And when you look at it, Jesus redeems Lazarus' body. But is it a redemption like of, say, Second Corinthians 5, where you have you know this new creation idea? Not necessarily. You know, Lazarus has returned. He's Lazarus, he's returned in a previous form. I think this is part of the reason why Jesus wept. He's a saddened saviour, if you like. In John 11.35, I, I love that verse. It just says, Jesus has wept. That's all it says. Jesus Jesus knows he's bringing Lazarus back to life. Back to a world of sin and decay. And unlike Mary, Martha and some of the converted Jews in John 11, Lazarus doesn't get to enjoy this newly restored life for very long. You can assume from verse, or sorry, from John 11:45, we read of the plot to kill Jesus. Those Jews that I mentioned earlier that had come and started to put their faith in the living God, what happened to them? They went and they told the chief priests. They told them, this is the miracle that Jesus has performed. He's resurrected Lazarus back to life. Obviously, there was a sense of panic. A sense of panic amongst these individuals, these chief priests. Why? Well, we read in John eleven forty five. the words won't come up on the screen, but here I'll read them here. Here is a man performing many miracles, they say. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. This is hard-heartedness. This is the fear of losing control of their power. So what happens? This struck them deeply. So what do they do? They go and they plan to arrest Jesus, to stop him from glorifying God, to stop him from strengthening faith. If you like, Lazarus' resurrection saying Jesus' death warrant. The leaders had had enough. They had to stop the spreading of faith at the source. But it didn't just stop with Jesus. And this is why I think Jesus wept. And this is why I love this 
I love this story. It's an absolutely amazing miracle. It points to the power of God. Amen. It's fantastic. But there's a tinge of sadness to this story, I think, for me personally. For the chief priest, it didn't just stop with Jesus. This is why he wept in John 12, 10 to 11. You'll see the words on the screen in a second. So the the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. To stop Jesus was not enough. They needed to kill Lazarus as well. We don't read much of what happened to Lazarus after this resurrection. But if they were able to get Jesus and crucify him a few weeks after this event, we can only deduce that Lazarus' second chance to life didn't last long. This should be a lesson to us, folks. Sin cannot be allowed to grow in our lives because once you indulge even slightly, that opens the door to perpetual sin. And from there, it's a slippery stick. I'm going to try and be more positive. I know that was that was very, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try now and be slightly more positive. I'm going to think now about application, right? This is more of a recap. You may have heard this question, and the more I read this passage, the more I don't like it. Right? Are you a Mary or a Martha? Hands up if you've heard that question before. Yeah. Okay. I don't like this question. I'll tell you why now. Okay? Because you should know God in your heart and in your mind. It shouldn't be a question of whether you're a Mary or a Martha. It should be a question of you. You need to reflect in yourself. You need to know God here. You need to know God here. It's that simple. If anyone's listening later, I was pointing to my heart and my mind there, okay? I just, I didn't take account of the audio listeners. It's all right. We'll carry on. Okay. Let's think about it. Philippians 4, it's not on the screen, but it says, whenever we approach God in prayer, he will guard our heart and our mind. The Lord wants a relationship with you in your heart and in your mind. In fact, if you think about it deeper, more intensely, he wants... A relationship with the core of your very being. He wants from you, from the core of your very being, to seek and desire a relationship with him as well. Think about it. Without a heart, we would not live. Without a mind, we couldn't function. Therefore, devotion to God is key to a relationship with living in Christ. So how do we do it? Well, we need to form a stronger relationship with God. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be praying. We need to gather at times like this, not just for worship. Yes, for worship, but we need to talk to people. If you haven't spoken to someone this morning or if somebody hasn't talked to you, go up to them. Talk to them. Okay, may I encourage you to do that this morning because when you interact with people, the presence of God will be there. When two or more are gathered, the presence of the Spirit of God is with us. We need to be thinking about people here. Another way to apply this, right? Did we think that was positive? Because I'm going to go slightly back to the here, okay, right? The more intense bit here, right? Let's look at Martha and her exchange with Jesus between verses 21 and 27. Jesus assures her that Lazarus will rise again and that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Yet, whenever it comes to rolling away the gravestone, Martha says, 
Lord, there'll be a foul smell. He's been dead four days. Martha believes God in her mind, but she still lacked faith in her heart. She didn't listen. She didn't listen to God. So what can we do in our day-to-day lives? Well, let's practice humility. And let's listen carefully. Okay, how do we do that? We need to come before God. And I'm going to say here, if you have a passion for God, please don't think I'm telling you to stifle this, okay? Because there are those that are so in tune, so passionate for evangelism, for getting out there, for praising God, for going and you know interacting with others. And that is fantastic. That's fabulous. Okay? But we first must be still, and we need to listen to God. Let him be your guide, folks. It's that simple. They used to say in the wall here, before it got painted green, a better green, it used to be pink, it was terrible as pink. They used to say, just above those windows there, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46. We need to be humble and come before God. You don't need to be like Martha and respond like that. Rest in God. He will guide you where he wants you to direct your enthusiasm. Okay. If you listen to God, and if this happens, if you listen to God, he will direct you the best way to glorify him. Okay. Listen to God. Very important. Lastly, some people want to be part of a church, but they don't necessarily want to serve in it. Okay. Uh, well, after an encounter with the risen God, your hearts and your minds should be focused not only on God, but on serving him. Do you have a heart and a mind focused on the living God? If you do, brilliant. can I encourage you this morning, if that's the case, to start serving if you're not already? Passion and knowledge for God are to be used for glorifying him. It's no use just coming to church and doing little with him. We're called to be doers of the word, James 1.22, which should come up on the screen here. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Folks, we all have giftings from God. I truly believe in that. May I encourage you to use them? People need to hear about the resurrection, the future life, and the conquering of the grave. That is paramount. Let's start, folks. Now, I'm not necessarily... This isn't me advertising to you. We need more people on tech. We need people on kids. That's not the case, okay? We do, but that's not the case, okay? It might even involve just something simple. Just talking into someone's situation. Praying for them. Helping them make a cup of tea if they're busy doing something. Offering advice if someone asks for it. Praying. Just pray, pray, pray. Pray for others. That's what we need to do. We need to be doers of the word. Not only listeners. Okay. Can I ask you to leave that on the screen there, Dean? I'm going to pray through it now. Okay, folks? Let's pray.